0: Welcome to Watch This Space, the podcast about future of work. Every month, we bring you insider perspectives on how digital transformation, emerging technologies, and generational change are shaping the future of work. We are two analog guys finding the groove for all this in today's digital world. I'm John Arnold, and these trends are my focus as an independent technology analyst in my company, J Arnold & Associates.
1: And I'm Chris Fine. I'm an independent consultant and advisor focusing on business strategy around workplace technology, IoT, prop tech, physical security technology, and various other aspects of work in the workplace. My company is Integrative Technologies, LLC.
0: Okay, so for this month's episode, Chris and I are going to talk first about some updates to this very podcast that have been happening over the last few weeks, And also some bigger picture themes we're seeing during what I would call the busy season in the uh, industry conferences that I attend as an analyst and Chris is seeing as well. So that is what's on the plate for today. And we are expecting you'll have some interesting takeaways from this because pandemic times are challenging in ways that we haven't even thought about yet. And it's starting to unfold that way. Okay, let's get to kind of like topic one. For today and that is this podcast so chris we more or less launched this publicly for the last episode which would have been the september podcast and normally the podcasts here are part of my newsletter which is a monthly production as well called jaa's communication and collaboration review if you don't know about it, you can subscribe to it on my website. It just takes two seconds. And the podcast is a feature of the newsletter that up till this point has been exclusive to subscribers. Uh, the only way you could get access to this podcast has been to be a subscriber. You get it in the newsletter. You can listen to it once you have the podcast once you have the newsletter and as well, it includes a a real-time transcription, so you can actually read what you're hearing here as well. Starting now, because we've migrated to a dedicated podcast platform, Watch This Space is starting to emerge, uh, taking a bit of a life of its own, Chris, and uh, I think both both you and I have been kind of working towards this for some time, huh?
1: That's right, John. I think it started as a labor of love in a way for both of us because we just like to talk about this stuff Uh, but as we continue to do it over the past two plus years we decided to formalize it into an actual podcast on the regular podcast platforms and that's an exciting thing
0: yes and uh we we are kind of evolving too we are getting better at this at our craft Uh, as we've gone along. For many of you, the podcast will be a new discovery, especially because we've now made it available on commercial platforms, which I'll get to in a second. But up to this point, the podcast has mostly been in the domain of people who get the newsletter or who follow me or who follow Chris, and they come across it that way. So you may not realize, but this is I believe episode 28 Chris and we are certainly in season 3 of this endeavor right so
1: yes it's been uh, we've learned along the way right John there's a lot to podcasting which sounds obvious but I guess anybody who does podcast knows
0: but it does take some time to uh not just learn the tools of the trade having the right setup as we are finally getting to here with our yeti USB microphones and uh, using Cleanfeed here as our audio recording platform, but also learning how to come up with interesting topics, learning how to develop a, a rapport, as we have, Chris, and and that comes, of course, because we've known each other for so so damn long. Um, we can kind of finish each other's sentences, right? Exactly. So with that, you're getting. uh uh, you're getting the benefit of that i think for this podcast going forward so we're hoping that with these new changes the podcast will reach uh, intentionally a broader audience so on that front we have developed some some branding around the podcast and you can notice online there's a distinct logo for the podcast and we are in the process of getting the podcast out onto the commercial platforms so Amazon uh, Music, Amazon Audible, Google, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Spotify, and I, I and others will likely be coming as well. So, a couple of those platforms, the podcast is accessible now. And at the end of this podcast, I'll uh, put a shout out for the. Website where you can access the podcast, where there's an embeddable player you can just click and listen, and you can also uh, download on your mobile to access it. So, there'll be lots of ways. So, over the next couple of months, we're hoping that this podcast will reach a broader audience. And uh, of course, that puts the pressure on us, Chris, right? We got to be different, we got to keep it going, we got to keep the flow of new information coming.
1: We have to try to be interesting and not ramble on for too long.
0: You mean like we're doing now?
1: (laughs) I don't know, John.
0: (laughs) Okay. And one more uh, kind of touch that's coming. Some of you know that I play music for fun, and I will be soon adding for an intro and an outro to our podcast a little bit of music that I will record myself, probably something original, just to uh, add a little uh, color uh, and audio interest to what we're doing. So that's my update on the podcast for now, Chris. Um, Anything else you wanted to add to what we're doing now that's new?
1: Uh, John, I think that covers it. I'm I'm certainly looking forward to hearing your new piece, the Unified Communications Blues, or whatever you (laughs) choose to call it.
0: We'll definitely need some kind of a theme song, yeah. Okay, so let's keep uh, let's keep things moving here. So let's talk about what's happening over the last few weeks. We certainly are, as I mentioned before, we're 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 getting into I think another wave of this pandemic uh, world, and that obviously triggers a lot of things across the board of almost any industry you can think of. And before getting to that, I just want to give a few takeaways to what I'm seeing in my day to day work as an analyst um, over the past few weeks and coming week or two I am participating and speaking at various virtual events Uh, certainly in the technology space September October is kind of high time of the year for conferences where normally I'd be traveling every week almost to go to some industry event so over the last few weeks as I mentioned uh, I've been involved with uh, several events, just to, to, to note some of the names, companies like AdTran, uh, Nice in Contact, Five9, Ribbon, Pulio, Vonage, those are coming up. And I also have some analyst events I'll be uh, participating in from BT, British Telecom, and one that's running, sponsored by Light Reading, called Big 5G Event, and that's a major industry event in the wireless world. And also in the UK, there is an event called UC Expo. Many of these events would have normally been live, but they've been retooled for virtual. So across the board, there's a lot of news and updates coming in the industry. And I keep hearing more and more about 5G. And there's an intersection there, Chris, with IoT, Internet of Things, that's really heating up now. And the promise of 5G, and there's plenty on both sides of the fence for that one, is really got a lot of people wondering what's coming next from the wireless carriers. Is this going to be just a connectivity play or is the promise of IoT real? And are we going to see a whole new world now? You're certainly hearing all this talk about tens of billions of connected devices coming onto the market and what is that going to mean? And I kind of wonder, Chris, you know, does some of this bode well for this work at home world that we're kind of it's kind of hardening around us right now
1: well john i think it i think it does you and you know that doesn't mean however that uh, there aren't some technical challenges so you and i talk a lot about different uh, groups of folks and what they may or may not have in terms of their uh, enabling technology or their ability to work remotely but one of the problems in, in a surprising number of places uh, in in U.S. and Canada is just not a lot of broadband uh, availability. And it's not cheap and it's not great where those places are. Um, it's a little bit, it's the modern equivalent of the long, long telephone lines that used to be partly subsidized by universal service fee, but that's not really any longer the case. Um, so what's what I, what I do think is that 5G, if deployed to the extent the carriers say it's going to be deployed, could really bring broadband to places that don't have it. But I also think there's a lot of challenges because for example, there's a lot of marketing about using 5G in office buildings, but it's not as easy as people say from a pure technological point of view. That said, for the carriers, it makes all kinds of sense for them to try to deploy it as widely as possible. And when you look at areas like smart cities and outdoor uses of IoT, for example, monitoring the power grid, uh, it could be a real uh, boon to the, to the technology to have more 5G. But I think one way or another, we're going to get it and we'll see how it gets uh, utilized.
0: You know, a good example here in Toronto uh, that's happening now with this podcast at this time of year, Chris, obviously it's back to school. And that has raised all kinds of issues, whether it's primary school, secondary, or of course, college and university spaces. All of them have challenges with this change in season, so to speak. And one thing we're hearing a lot about in Toronto is there's lots of people who are comfortable sending their kids back to the classroom, but a lot of teachers who don't want to be there. And of course, a lot of families who don't want their kids in classroom. And it's put this real crush on On technology players to say, how do we create online learning capabilities? And one of those issues that we're hearing a lot about is broadband access. And here in Toronto, we're talking about online learning being the option to go against going back into the classroom. And it's interesting because even in a big city like ours, there are lots of pockets who do not have access to broadband because they can't afford it. They're in marginalized communities, whatever. So for them, online learning isn't really a great option, not to mention, of course, having the wherewithal to uh, have a decent computer or the right you know, hardware set up to f- participate, and not to mention living in a space where you can actually have peace and quiet to study online if you're in a crowded, you know, one bedroom apartment with six or seven people, that's not a great learning environment. And then you go outside the city to the hinterlands, of course, where broadband where good quality broadband access is is more of a luxury than anything. A lot of people are still getting by out there on DSL. So lots of windows of opportunity here, but challenges too. And ironically, Chris, if our listeners detect a little bit of a jog here in the continuity over the last few minutes as we're talking about this very issue of broadband access being problematic for some people our connection dropped how weird is that huh
1: that is pretty strange and we had to reestablish it so but we're you know we're using a, a tool that is not quite as ro- it's it's better quality audio but i think from a connection standpoint it's not quite as robust as tools like zoom and teams that are just designed to deal with whatever but your point is completely well taken that the quality of broadband varies and so back to your 5g point if there's a technology that makes actual bandwidth more broadly accessible at a reasonable price then it's 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 a good thing especially in the outdoors and in places where they're not really wired for or or affordably wired for the normal types of broadband
0: Yeah, and we've talked about this before, you know, as infrastructure goes, buildings, roads, bridges, all these things, wireless infrastructure or just broadband infrastructure as a matter of course, is really not that expensive. You know, in terms of the public good it creates by mandating that all households shall have access to broadband because it's the connectivity piece that really pulls us all together, especially in this pandemic world you know that that's a matter of public policy and and not just business interests right
1: it is it is john but i also think that we when we think about even in in some better broadband areas the generation of broadband that many people have access to predates the age of live video streaming in and hd and remote education and all this real time high bandwidth stuff so even where you have uh, even where you have, for example, cable broadband, you may not have uh, the the real throughput necessary to as we go forward. Especially as you start to get to AR and VR, and as video games online get more and more advanced, and just things are taking more and more bandwidth. You know.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think you know, mentioning education, and really, we are still in back to school season. I think there's a bit of a canary in the coal mine there we have to be watching for, because the experience that unfolds in that environment, you know, where they're talking in in colleges now of, of resuming athletic programs. And of course, you can't ask for a more toxic scenario for risk than that. I think that experience and if it plays well, I think is going to be a good harbinger for what other sectors of the economy are experiencing. You know, we're in the north, you know, we're going into colder weather now. It's going to be a different environment, not just to push people indoors to make the pandemic perhaps even worse, but also the realities of living in a cold climate, doing the things we've been doing the last six months in good weather and trying to adapt. So yeah, we won't be rushing out to beaches and stuff, but at the same time, all sectors of the economy have to adapt to what's coming. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, we talk about office towers being kind of sitting empty and all business sectors are gonna have to reinvent themselves as they have been over the past few months. But I think now we may be in for a longer ride and the reality is starting to hit. And I just, as to touch on this, to me a very timely example is pro sports where Basketball and hockey have been doing the bubble thing. And for the most part, it's actually worked pretty well. It's not a very humanized experience for the participants, having to live isolated from friends and family and fans, etc. But it's interesting, Chris, as as a sports watcher, seeing what the experience is looking like now, that they have come up with ways of creating these kind of virtual fan experiences. And I've always wondered who are those people, those virtual images of people sitting in the stands? And I'm learning a little bit more about this and some of it is actually the fans themselves who are allowing their images to be used. And I think this is an indication of evolving with technology to create better virtual experiences that approximate the in-person experiences that we've had. And I think that trend is gonna continue across all sectors you were talking earlier uh while we were in the green room waiting to go on chris um, about the film industry about how it's been adapting you know you don't you can still make films without a lot of live actors and action scenes you can strictly go to animation and you know all the cgi stuff but live films are being made but they're being done the process is being done differently but it still can be done right
1: right i was there was a story yesterday that after several months of negotiations, the primary uh, union in Hollywood, or the overall union and all of its subunions in the studios, reached a pretty decent deal in terms of all the precautions that had to be taken when, uh, when on set. And, it, you know, it all made a lot of sense. It raises the studio's cost by, I think they said 10%, which seems not much compared to the cost of not having any content And so uh, they're working it through the chain. So they'll start the shooting on set, I think, in October. And then that will work back to post-production. And knowing some folks in post-production, I think that they're going to end up doing a lot more work from home. uh, Because the technology has advanced so far that the production company can either let them use their laptops or furnish them with some relatively inexpensive equipment. And avoid the risk of having everybody have to come in and sit in the little rooms where this stuff, the not so well ventilated little rooms where this has been traditionally done. So there, you know, there's an example of an industry that seems to be adapting. Although, as they said in the news story, a couple of outbreaks on set could throw a monkey wrench into it. Right, John.
0: That's yeah, that's always the wild card. You know, Uh, I'll give you another good example. I mentioned uh, for the industry events, the virtual ones I've been doing lately. Nice in contact. One of the cool things they did at the end of the main sessions, they had a little virtual after party and they brought on a couple of celebrity performers. They had Alanis Morissette and they had Brian Adams both uh, Canadians, by the way, and uh, I thought that was a nice touch for certainly someone like me. But I thought the really cool thing with Alanis Morissette was they gave a band performance with the whole, you know, I think she had a five-piece band doing uh, some of her material, and each musician was performing their part virtually. So this was very heavily choreographed and produced, but you could get You know, the shots of them, you watch the drummers doing his part, the keyboard guy, the guitar player, Alanis, they're all in different spaces and you think of the technology, now maybe, uh, even to me this could still be an illusion and just be kind of like a lip sync performance, but if it is done truly live in real time, and this is not the only example I've seen of this, it looks pretty seamless. And you need pretty good technology to pull that off. Aside from the musicians all, of course, playing in real time, in time, to make the song work. But this, to me, is another example of how we're kind of replicating what we've done in person, virtually, and to make it feel almost like the real thing. And I know this is going to be a big trend as we go to these streamed events for music performances. It'll come into opera. It'll come into theater. It'll come into classical music as well. So I think it's an interesting sign of the times.
1: Well, how was Alanis? I'm a big fan.
0: Well, I thought she was fantastic. I mean, she sounded, you you know, she's not mailing it in. She, you could tell she's performing and it must be weird because you're performing all by yourself in your home, but that's how it is now. And so I think that's, puts pressure on the performers to kind of summon up the energy and the vibe that comes from a group performance that only a group performance performance can make possible. And so I'm sure they're all imagining in their heads what it must be like to be playing together and somehow channeling that energy. But I think A, for us as consumers, this says a lot about ways we are now dealing with these things that we've taken for granted for so long. And B, I think it speaks volumes about how good this technology is getting right now, and of course that's our world.
1: Well, some of this was uh, pioneered out of the world of video games, where you have massive multiplayer, internet-connected games where things have to be in sync, like yeah, if you were so, so-so the person in, in wherever and you have to hear the sound effect at the same time, and so there's software that uh, it was also pioneered by recording studios because there was more and more remote recording of parts, some of it in real time. Uh, But yes, it's, it's amazing how, how, how close you can get it. But ironically to me, at least these live, not really live, virtually live performances are just much more like working in the studio, right? Because you're very often in an isolation or recording one track at a time and you have to do that same visualization. So An experienced recording artist like Alanis Morissette's got to know how to summon that feeling or you can't make an album with enough excitement, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, again, sign of the times and sign of things to come. So this is just, you know, we're just one month in to what I still consider like the new season with summer coming to an end and back to school. And I just think this is going to trigger a whole lot of other... Things We have to be watching for and I think it's going to unfold like this in so many other sectors. So that's to me the big watch this space takeaway for today. So Chris that brings us to time for today's episode. Absolutely. So we'd like to thank all of you out there for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast and that you'll continue with us as we explore the future of work here on watch this space. Now you can access all of our episodes at www.watchthespace.tech or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. And if you like this podcast, we love it, please if you can leave a review or a rating there. It just helps get the message out there, helps show the world that we have a good me- a good set of ideas here we'd love to share with you. So, on that note, it's time to go. I'm John Arnold.
1: And I'm Chris Fine. Thanks, everybody. Welcome any new users. And thank you to all of our loyal listeners who followed this throughout our journey.
0: Okay, and we'll be back next month with another episode. Thanks again for listening.